10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits. Culver is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. And we welcome you in to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Week two of the A-State football season in the books. The Red Wolves falling short this past Saturday to third-ranked Ohio State by the score of 45-12. to And obviously you hate to lose, but man, I think there are some really encouraging things to take out of that game. Over 100,000 fans in attendance at the Horseshoe. Third largest crowd to ever see an A-State game on Saturday, but kind of came out of that game feeling good about a lot of things going forward. Yeah, I mean, because I think it was overwhelming early at the line of scrimmage. And then, you know, things settled in. And watching that game, I'll tell you what I thought, and then I went to go see if the stats backed it up. When I finished watching that game, my thought was, if you stripped away the names and the rankings, and you took all that away, but you just sat somebody down and played them the second quarter, they would think that was a matchup of fairly evenly matched teams. So I went back to see if the second quarter stats backed that up. Total offense, 142 to 75 in favor of Arkansas State. Time of possession in the second quarter, 12 minutes and 10 seconds to 2 minutes and 50 seconds. That was the main thing. And they had a 14-play drive in there that ate up nearly seven minutes. And you know the score was 10 to 6, but... Ohio State kicked a field goal the first play of the quarter that doesn't even count as really being a play in the second quarter. And then they had a three-play scoring drive. So past that, they had the three-play touchdown drive. They only ran six plays in the second quarter. Five minutes to go in the first half. It's a one-score game. It's 17-9 to in favor of the Buckeyes at that point. So, yeah, I think one thing you saw – And, of course, this kind of falls into the positive category. And Ryan Day and Butch Jones are friends. uh, And Coach Jones certainly knows a lot of those staff members for Ohio State. And, you know, he told me when we sat down to do the TV show on Sunday, he said a lot of the Ohio State coaching staff came to him after the game and said, look, you guys played harder than Notre Dame did Hmm. the week before. Yeah, there was a lot to take away from a positive standpoint because even after early on, you couldn't really do anything at the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball. That changed. Like, right, eventually broke off some long run plays and got some three and outs. I mean, you sort of, from a physical standpoint, you weathered that early storm and then got in there and kind of evened it out. I mean, I just thought there, there was a lot to like. I know the score was what it was, but there was a lot to like. Offensively, I thought James Blackman did a lot of good things the other day 20 of 34 for 188 did not throw a pick they've started the season now back-to-back games without turning the football over and if you go back to the texas state game to end last year three straight games without a turnover for the a-state offense champ flemings is really fun to watch Mm -hmm. right now 10 catches 105 yards had the big 58 yard catch in the first half But maybe my favorite play of the game was on fourth and one. A-State has the football around the 30-yard line of Ohio State. Red Wolves go for it. 
and they run a jet sweep. A.J. Mayer has come in at quarterback. He ran for 74 yards in the second half last week. Mayer puts Flemings in motion. They give it to Champ, trying to get around the right edge. He's got the first down and more. Champ steps out of bounds at the 14-yard line. 15 yards on fourth and one. Champ Flemings on the jet sweep, and A-State is inside the red zone. A.J. Mayer had come in at quarterback on that play. And well, you're thinking, based on what we saw last week, maybe he's going to keep it. But I love that play call by Keith Heckendorf. Yeah, good, good, uh, good call there. And you know, Mayer got some run later in the game too, and so I think A State's been successful in, in putting on tape. And we talked about this a little bit last week that they're willing to put AJ Mayer out there in just about any situation. And just because he's coming out there doesn't mean he's going to run the football. But you gotta count on it. You have to account for him running the football. Yeah, he was five for six in the Grambling game, so he did show what he could do through the air defensively for the Red Wolves, look, they gave up some big plays to some guys that are going to be in the NFL someday really, really soon. Ohio State going into that game, five preseason All-Americans on offense, just one side of the ball, five of your 11 starters are preseason All-Americans, including both of their tackles. And one thing that Tim Allison and I talked a lot about during the broadcast was how those DNs for the Red Wolves were really holding their own. Kavon Bennett and Thurman Gathers, in particular, against those two tackles who are both All Americans. A year ago, this was whether you're looking at yardage or points per game, this was the best offense in the country. Most everybody puts them in that same category right now as the best offense in the country. And I know they had a couple of big time wideouts who missed the game. All that did was open up chances for Marvin Harrison Jr. to come in and. You know, I, he got behind guys. Are we a sure there was Junior out there? Yeah, <laughs> and he got behind dudes, and he's going to get behind dudes. But you go back to his third touchdown catch, and there, there's not a thing in the world Arkansas State could do about it. You're absolutely right. That was as pretty of a throwing catch as you'll ever see. And look, we hadn't mentioned C.J. Stroud, who was a Heisman finalist last year. He throws about as pretty of a ball as you'll ever see. The the only way Marvin Harrison Jr. catches it, if it's thrown in that exact spot, and A-State really couldn't have defended it any better. It was just elite players making elite plays, and that really was the biggest difference in the ball game. But yeah, Marvin Harrison, three touchdown catches. I think defensively, when you look at some other bright spots, I love the final play of the first quarter. They're trying to hit Marvin Harrison on a third and goal right at the goal line. Malik Straker comes in and breaks it up. And they end up having to kick a field goal on what you said, the first play of the second quarter. Saw Kenny Harris break up a pass or two. Justin Parks had a pass breakup a little bit later on. And they were able to get in that Ohio State backfield a little bit. Finished with six tackles for a loss on the afternoon. Another thing we saw, one area that A-State won the other day, and I'll see if you agree with this, was special teams. And... Ryan Hansen ended up averaging over 51 yards per punt. His first punt went 68 yards, downed him <laughs> at the four-yard line. Jack Bullard, who's the deep snapper, ended up getting the only takeaway of the day on a muff punt in the last three or four minutes of the game. He was downfield. He recovered the fumble. And then 
I know this is a big storyline that a lot of people are talking about now. The true freshman place kicker, Dominic Zavada, goes a perfect 4-4 four of four in his first ever road game as a true freshman. Hit a long of 45, but to do that in front of 100,000 people and really none of them were close calls. I mean, he was dead solid perfect on those four field goals. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to play, obviously, in a louder stadium over the course of this season. So a great experience for him. And I think because of all the things just mentioned, yeah, you could say A-State won the special teams. They actually had to use a punter. And then when they did, man, Hanson, he came out and it's like he had a joystick out controlling that first punt of the day. And so all in all, yeah, I mean, good special teams play, which I know was Coach Jones felt after Grambling. They, they left some stuff out there in special teams. But, yep, yeah, I mean, really solid. I mean, I, I was uh, not the least bit bummed out. No. Watching that football game. Not at all. I think a lot of things to build on, especially going into – a rivalry game coming up this week as A-State crosses the river. We'll take on the Memphis Tigers. We'll talk more about that matchup a little bit later on. But we're going to take a timeout, and we're going to shift gears a little bit and visit with the head baseball coach at Arkansas State, Tommy Raffo. He's in studio and will join us next here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined in studio now. Guy going into his 15th season at Arkansas State and just last week announced 22 new players as part of his most recent signing class. It's our good friend Tommy Raffo. How you doing, Coach? Oh, we're doing great. Thanks for having us. The Dean of A-State Coaches. Yeah. Have you ever thought of it that way? No, guys, but uh, <laughs> you, you are, put it in my head now. I'm you are the dean. No, it's been a fantastic place to be, and and uh, Jonesboro is a wonderful place to bring a family. And you know, Arkansas State has grown a lot uh, on campus and athletically, and very excited about what's going on this year. I know last year was extremely frustrating as far as on the field, but I know one thing that. I was able to notice just being around it every day was the fact that your recruiting coordinator, one of your assistants, Drew Labounty, was not at most of the games last year. And that was for a very good reason. He was on the road recruiting as much as I remember any assistant of yours being on the road in season. And you gave him a lot of credit last week when the press release went out when it comes to this signing class. He worked very, very hard to help you out with this. He really did, and, and Drew was a young man we had on staff um, before COVID as a volunteer, and he played at South Alabama, and so had an opportunity to see him on the field and, and what he brought to uh, every day, and he was actually on that team in 17 that beat us in, um, in Statesboro in the semis, and you know, one of the things I think that, uh, and Drew left, he ended up leaving to go to Pensacola State to be a recruiting coordinator, and 
you know, he wanted to better himself and, and, um, you know, we're so proud that, you know, he's had that opportunity, but when time came to call him right after Christmas break and to say, Hey, listen, we got an opportunity here. Drew was nonstop. I mean, he was absolutely all in. What can we do to get better? Obviously he needed to evaluate our team to get a feel of what, Hey, where are we at right now? And so he just basically said, coach, listen, I, I think it's very important as a recruiting coordinator that we need to be on the road to try to figure out how to help our needs and to better ourselves in this league. And um, he did spend a lot of time away, a whole bunch of time missing a lot of games. I'm sure not everybody's wired like that, right? Because you think you get into coaching and really the games is, that's why you do it. So so how unique is it to have somebody come along and, and willing to put in the time and it not be at the that the games of the the other team he quote coaches that he understands the way to help is to go find the next batch of players well i i think that uh as a staff with alan dunn and myself and, and him and and looking back and just sitting there going okay what how are we going to improve or how do we want to better ourselves in this league in the long run and to a man it was basically hey we have to find very talented athletes keep improving the talent pool. The bottom's got to be better. If you improve the bottom, then everybody's going to be better. And, and so his idea was, hey, we have to be able to be out there and to put our best foot forward to find those right players and have the right attitudes that want to come to Arkansas State and win. And there was no question in my mind the way he approached it, what he wanted to do. And spending a lot of hours of driving, going to different places, whole weekends at a time to where we're playing games and – He's basically trying to evaluate and get an idea of how does this young man fit in our program. You look at this league right now, and the Sunbelt Conference has been good for a while, but it seems like it's better than it's ever been. And now, with the new teams coming in, and look, we talk about it a lot on the football side, how this league is constantly getting better. But baseball was already good, and now it's going up to an even higher level. Man, I think you're right. And, you know, I think when Coastal came in in 17, after the win of the national championship, it did bump our league and it showed. We were six overall out of 31 leagues RPI last year, number six. And that's non-conference record. And so you're going out and beating a lot of teams in the non-conference that are close by or regionally next to you and taking care of business. And now you add some of these teams, these four teams that are coming into the league and that have done really well RPI-wise to a league that's been doing well, there's no question you could be in the top four in the country out of 31 leagues in baseball, RPI. And so that was a big talk uh, amongst the coaches about where we were and where we're heading and where we want to be versus a one to two bid league. Now you're a four to five, maybe even six bid league. Because you had four anyway, one of the four new ones. And then, you know, ODU, I think first team out. So yeah, you're staring down the barrel of being a six bid league. It's quite phenomenal. Yeah, it is something. And you got a host in, involved in there, and no better way to make it if you get to host. And, and so, um, you know, who knows? If Texas State wins their regional, maybe they're hosting a super. Yeah, and obviously it, it's not just getting teams in. It's teams now starting to make a little bit of noise once they get to the NCAA tournament, and we saw that a year ago. Getting back to your team, though, as you looked at last year's team and – you're talking with your coaches about how you can get this thing turned around. What is that process like? What's the first thing you look at? 
Well, it starts on the bunt with Alan Dunn, and I think that you know he's got an idea of what he kind of pitchers he wants to bring to the table, and she shared that vividly with um, Drew, and he was a part of the process as far as being involved with the pitching, as far as the young men coming into the program, and obviously had an idea of being in the league in the SEC and competing in that league of what type of pitchers we need to probably have more of. And so um, that was a mindset going out on the road for Drew, and you saw multiple pitchers that were put on this um, incoming class that are here with us now. And, you know, obviously it's already showed in the first two and a half weeks that we've been out on the fall. You say Alan Dunn spent all that time in the SEC. And obviously in all sports, there's a lot of talk about how the footprints of the leagues, the Sun Belt and the SEC are similar. So maybe then Coach Dunn's not able to go get the exact same guy he was able to get at LSU. But what are the similarities? Like what translates it? the type of pitcher he's able to get in the SEC versus the type of the pitcher he's wanting to bring in here? Well, I think the thing that, that shows out a lot is when you face really, really good offensive lineups and you have to get them out second and third time around, is what kind of stuff do you bring in the strike zone? And I think that's the biggest thing that as you start to look at these guys is what kind of stuff are they bringing in the strike zone to either miss bats or create soft contact? And that was a big priority as far as what Drew was looking for. And a lot of times velo can be attached to that. Obviously, that'd be a number one predictor. But then the next thing would be movement patterns or maybe arm angles. And so, and that's what you saw. You saw a lot of guys with some numbers, with some high strikeouts, especially in this class. You have some guys that can do a little bit different with secondary pitches in the strike zone. And I, I think it's bode well. Obviously, when you face very good lineups and you get to two strikes in the second, third time around, you have to put them away. And I think that was kind of a bugaboo for us a little bit at times last year that put more pressure on our defense. Yeah, you mentioned the pitching and it kind of starting there. And out of the 22 signees in this class, 12 of those players are pitchers. So you certainly addressed your needs there. At the same time, you and I were talking about this off the air. You were so young last year. You needed some older guys with experience to come in. And out of 22 players, only four of them are high school players. You get two out of the portal, but 16 junior college players. It was a big deal for us. We've never been this much, probably heavily involved in transfers than we have maybe my first couple years here. And when you look back, those first couple years and maybe laid the groundwork for some positive years that happened back in the 08 to 12 type years that we had. But we needed to have some experience with ABs under our belt, innings pitched under our belt with success. And especially with the league that we're getting ready to see with a type of competition, we needed to have that at a higher level versus at the high school level where you're not playing as many games. And there's more probably of a learning curve that happens now, don't get me wrong, we've had some success with young men, and we really love our four freshmen coming in. We did play a couple freshmen last year who we absolutely love too, but we had to get a little bit better overall to be able to compete in this league, and that was the main goal, obviously, with what Drew was looking for in the transfer process. We talked about how good the league is. At the same time, you had everybody, you know, still, you, you got a lot of holdover from people getting the COVID year back, and you had a shorter major league baseball draft all those things add up to as you say you can love your young guys it's still a tough time to be young well and, and brad you brought that up uh, we talked about this a, f- a few moments ago not only do you have covid year guys coming back and a lot of teams we played in lineups last year had guys that in a regular non-covid situation would have 
matriculated out and graduated, not been a part of that program. And then you have the 20-round Major League Draft, which now you're taking 20 rounds in that last couple of years that are not getting drafted and they're staying either in college baseball or junior college. And then, of course, the portal, which has been a, a really unique situation amongst coaches of how to handle you know upperclassmen coming into your program or leaving your program. So with all those things involved, the younger player has really got to turn it up quickly and he's got to learn very quickly. And we're talking about getting older here, but there is a flip side to last year, and you can kind of spin a positive on this. Will French and Daedric Kale ended up being your all-true freshman middle infield a year ago. They had to be thrown into the fire, but they ended up starting almost every single game. I think in Will's case, he did start every game this past year. So they were able to get some really valuable experience in year one. No question. It's like putting money in the bank for us. And we knew that. And uh, we knew that we're going to have some ups and downs with them. But we knew how talented they were, and we knew that uh, that were the future for Arkansas State baseball. And for those that were out there or listened, um, you could tell there were moments where they were really good, and there were moments where, hey, it was you scratch your head. But those are teachable moments. Those are experience moments which you learn and get better from. And, you know, our expectation, and we've already seen it already this fall, is they're much more mature um, as far as how they handle themselves and what they want to accomplish and from a skill-wise on the baseball field. And Dedrick Kale's bat put him at second base, right? Because you guys had to find a way. I know moving forward, you guys have him at, at what you feel. And, and I know even you know, Pete Prater, his high school coach, thought the same thing. You know, he played him at short in high school. People thought Dedrick Kale's a third baseman. Absolutely. And we knew you're right, Brad. We did know that. We had a, a preseason third baseman, all Sunbelt pick, and Ben Klutz. And, and so we, right, we were trying to get Dedrick some opportunities. And, Right when we put him in, he handled it beautifully, and we said, hey, accept this opportunity, and he, he ran with it. And so now the challenge for him has moved over, and he did that this summer. He went up to the Perfect Game League up in New York and, and uh, got to go through a summer of some ups and downs, but he settled in already at third base in fall practice, and you know he's moving pretty good over there. One thing about Will French and Daedric Kale, they're both Northeast Arkansas natives. Chase Armstrong, Grayson Becker, Kaysen Campbell, they were three that actually committed early to this most recent signing class. Another local product is Jake Henry Williams. He went to Jonesboro High School. He transferred in from Connors State. Yeah, you know, you look at some of these these young men coming in, and, and Becker is a right-hand pitcher for us that is uh, uber-talented and very high ceiling. Chase Armstrong might be the most ready pitcher for us on the bump as a freshman. He's got a great mindset, and, and he's got some pitchability along with some velocity in him. You know, Jake Henry, the transfer – Coming in, it's got some power, and there's a want to to be probably a little bit in a situation where he wants to be challenged, and that's been really good. And Kaysen is a left-handed infielder that you don't see very often and very athletic young man that can probably play all three positions in the infield. And a quarterback, right? Yeah, he was a quarterback for their football team. won a state championship. Do you look at that a lot when you're recruiting, that they play other sports and they've had success in, in something like football? I think any time you can have success in a different sport and like in the position he was at is a big deal. You know, Daedric was very similar yeah. uh, as quarterback at, at Marion. And, you know, I think Will was a point guard at Valley View at one time. And you look at these dual sport athletes and what they do, and what kind of leadership roles they were in, nothing but positive. Hang on. I, I'm gonna, we're going to say it louder for the people in the back. 
and I would cue this up maybe as the clip that goes out on social media. You're telling me college coaches like it when high school athletes play multiple sports. I think it adds a lot of credibility what they're trying to do. They're handling different situations. They're using different motor skills. They're communicating differently in different sport arenas, different adversities. There's so many different things that go on. And so with those young men, that what they've been through, it only accelerates their growth as far as what they want to be able to maybe accomplish in a single sport. You mentioned Ben Klutz earlier, and he was a very good player for you the last couple of years. He came in from Carl Albert State College, and you brought in another young man who was a junior college All-American at that same school. His name is Dylan DeBeauty. 30 home runs, 105 runs batted in the last two seasons. He seems like certainly one of the standouts in this class. He really does. And he, we were so excited. And um, I think Drew made a great comment in our staff meeting. He's one of the first commits in the spring last year hmm. to Arkansas State and how much he wanted to be here and uh, be a part of this program. And he's got a great mindset. He brings positive energy. He's a physical player, obviously, with some of the numbers you see. And so we're thrilled uh, what he's already done in the two and a half weeks that we've seen him. And, and for a big guy, he's always hustling and always moving. And we should see an impact with Dylan. And then I know one thing you wanted to do with this class is rebuild the outfield. You lose a guy who's been starting the last several years in left field in Jalen DeShazer, but you needed some experience and needed to upgrade a little bit at those other positions as well. We did. You know, we probably got too comfortable with maybe a Michael Faulkner or Drew Tipton in the center field, and we just did not have someone that could really command that position out there. And a lot of plays or a lot of innings were extended last year that needed not to be extended. And what I mean by that is either making plays or making catches or throwing, cutting balls off. And so now I think we got the capability. We actually feel like on this outfield group that we have basically four center fielders. And what I mean by that is we got four guys that can play a center field. Go get a ball and be athletic. And we really like them. Of course, two last year redshirted. And so we would look at each other all during last year and say, hey, we got two guys that can play center, but they can't play for us. One is Kyler Carmack from Cabot, who is also a dual position pitcher. And the other is Cross Jumper, who transferred in midterm to us from Tennessee. Just really love those two young men. They're Again, uber talented as far as running around, catching balls. And then we added two that Coach Labonte had an opportunity to uh, add to the program, Alan Greer and Blake Burris. And again, when you look at them run in the field and make catches and do some things that maybe we weren't able to do in the last year or two since Drew's left, we feel very comfortable with them, especially roaming the outfield now. When you're talking to transfers, JUCO guys, and you got to go through the whole sales pitch and there's recruiting and everything that goes in that. But at the end of the day, when you can sort of dangle coming right in and playing, I guess that carries a lot of weight in the recruiting conversation. No, that's a, that's a, that's a great – you know, that, that came up today actually in our staff meeting is, you know, do you want a young man that, that just wants to go to be a part of a program or do you want a young man that wants to make an impact and play right away in a program? And so some of these kids in the recruiting process have to make that mind, their mind up. Maybe some realize that, hey, I don't want to sit the bench. I want to play. And I think that maybe some of the junior college players that we did recruit understood that a little, maybe a little bit more as far as, hey, the opportunity to play right away overwrites anything as far as maybe a, 
a program to be a, just a part of. Another person I, I did want to mention that's part of this class is Cody Darcy. Now, this is a young man who was Big East Freshman of the Year at Xavier. He then later transferred to UTSA, but to be able to, to pick him up as a grad transfer is a big help for that middle infield. Really is. We It was kind of a late ad. He was a young man that was kind of committed, but did not have the opportunity maybe to another school due to, to some ways to uh, getting into school. But he was out there and we jumped all over him right away. And there was a want to on his part, but you can tell he's played college baseball in the time he's been out there with us. And yes, you can tell why he was a big ace freshman of the year and you can tell why he was drafted. So we're thrilled that he's added to our infield. And then on the mound, I did notice you added the junior college leader in saves a year ago young man named Bryce Shares to be able to uh, pick up somebody like that big boost to the bullpen and look you've got some other guys coming back in that bullpen that now have some experience that that I know you like including Kevin Wiseman who was around last year you're right you know again the comment we made earlier about having stuff in the strike zone and you look at Bryce Shares and Kevin Wiseman obviously stuff in the strike zone plays and wins and Bryce had an excellent junior college you know season last year Kevin went off into the draft league this summer and then went to the uh, Northwoods League and also pitched. So, yeah, two young men, and that's that's only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we just mentioned two names right there, but there's some others that maybe even actually fall in the same category with wow. them. So, And I think that's where Coach Dunn gets kind of excited with some of the stuff that we brought in. Back in the day, right, If I mean, Bob Gibson would throw at the manager on his way out if he thought he was coming to take him out of a game. It has changed like everything else. At the major league level, you know, the complete game is going to go by the wayside. In some ways, maybe even the starting pitcher is going to go by the wayside. Is there any trickle down yet in terms of, I mean, are you, do you go into a game now, hand it to the a guy saying, hey, this guy can, can go the distance, or is it, you know, you want the starter to, to get six and you're going to build seven, eight, nine in your bullpen? You know, a guy like a Daniel Wright or Jacob Lee that was here in the past that you can count on going seven, maybe even eight that competed like crazy on the mound, you know, had stuff to go with it, those guys are hard to find or develop. And, you know, I think right now is basically is we have a bevy of talent or 20 pitchers to go with. And you started to see that a little bit last year in the Sun Belt with some teams that didn't matter. Three innings, okay, we're going to make a move. Four innings, hey, doesn't matter, we're going to make a move. Maybe to give a different look to a lineup, didn't want the lineup to see the third time around. Or maybe there's two left-handed. we got to get that left-hander in there. I think those college coaches are doing anything and everything to win a ball game now because all these games are critical you know, for postseason play. Now, when we have that young man and we can go seven or eight, yeah, we'll, you're, we're going to do it. There ain't no question because that does give a rest to the bullpen. But, you know, it does take a special individual. you got to be mentally tough on the mound. you got to have the stuff, and you got to be able to repeat it over and over again. And that's why those guys get paid a lot of money in the big leagues. Well, and look, those names you just mentioned, Daniel Wright, Jacob Lee, you even throw in a guy like Andy Ferguson. I mean, those guys were all players that built that over time. It didn't happen overnight. They came in here as freshmen and ended up turning into a pitcher like that. They really did. And, you know, are there guys on this squad right now that can do the same? Absolutely. But I I do think that, you know, as we sort through the fall, we'll have a better picture. We don't have a real clear picture yet. We haven't started team practice until the 27th. And We'll have a better understanding of the staff. But, again, can a young man bring, and and Coach Dunn does a great job with this, is can you be in the strike zone early and often? And what what do you mean by that? First pitch strikes and 
out of the first three pitches, can you be two of the first three strikes? And it puts a lot of pressure on those hitters. You mentioned your staff. You changed up your staff a little bit in the offseason. Henry Larteague, who was at Ole Miss as a student assistant last year, is now on your staff. Yeah, Henry was a student assistant for the Ole Miss team that won the national championship. He actually was a catcher for them. He's actually played in Jonesboro. Oh, I uh, remember, When Ole Miss came to town and had the opportunity to play with the Phillies for six years and wanted to go back and get his degree. And Coach Bianco had the opportunity to – have Henry on staff and when it was known that he was available we immediately jumped on that opportunity to talk to him and he reciprocated and it worked out to where to bring him here to Jonesboro. Uh, His wife is currently working here in town and which is great. You know he's been a real help to the program already. He's been able to help with the catching core and that's a big deal. He's assisting with Drew with the hitters. So that's been real positive. And then the other young man we added, too, was our director of operations, Jared Chittum. He's two years removed from a national championship. He was at Mississippi State as a head student manager. You You, you don't have to separate those two in the office, do you? You know, it's kind of of funny. They're sitting right next to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, if they get into it, what side's the the head coach taking? I know what side the head coach is Henry's going to be on the wrong end of that deal every time. No, it's really been good because uh, you can hear him trade stories out and then you know hey i thought this or i thought this when they were playing each other and <laughs> but it's 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 really a, a unique perspective because have we picked their brain a little bit at times about what went through and what type of players they had in the program and you know what it takes and you know we all know that old miss really struggled some last year but end up winning the whole thing so it's kind of interesting to kind of hear their perspective of being part of a national championship program Coach, uh, I know we're wrapping it up, but just for a, a big picture thing, because you're you know so highly thought of and in, in leadership roles, you know, in your peer group, head coaches. There, there are two big issues. Obviously, people like to bring up with college baseball: the fact that you only have three full-time coaches is one, and then the scholarship number was eleven point seven. Is that right? Is the other? Which is more likely to be addressed first? I think they're both going to be addressed, and what I mean by that is I think they're going to go hand in hand. It's moving quickly. It's moving quickly enough to where these committees with the NCAA have, have really deregulated a lot of things or getting out of putting a lot of rules down. And we think, and this is what the hearsay is, we think that there could be a opportunity for a fourth coach for baseball coming up here quickly. We also think that that could be a possibility with maybe a little bit different way of looking at 11.7 and maybe changing that up. The other thing that could happen down the road is a roster hard cap. And what I mean by that is you got to have a roster set before the fall instead of before the spring. And so that could be a factor too. So there are a lot of things they're looking at with the NCAA. I don't think it's going to be one. I think if they're going to go after it, probably be both of them at the same time. Coach, always fun to see you enjoyed this visit anything we're leaving out here anything you want folks to know before you get out of here no i, I just uh we're, we're thrilled to be with this team and this club and it's a new personality that's being put together and i just want to let everybody know we got a great staff with coach dunn and coach labounty and lartigue and jared chittam and we're thrilled to be working with these young men and we can't wait to polish them whatever we can do to help them encourage them motivate them discipline them to be better on and off the field and we like what we see right now they're highly motivated at this time and the season's going to be right around the corner we are going to play and i'll kind of leak this out a little bit for you uh, we think will be our most home games this year at the time uh, we're looking at about wow. 35 home games not all the contracts have been signed yet but that's a big deal especially for our people 
Yeah, I remember two years ago when <laughs> we played about 70% of our games on the road, which was, I know COVID had an effect on that in 2020 and uh, doing everything you could to, yep. to try to meet budget. But you're going a long way from playing 70% of your games on the road to well over 50% of your games at home. Oh, you got to. And, and we deserve to. This program needs to be at home as much as it can. And so looking at the whole big scheme of things. I think the only road weekends we're going to have, knock on wood, obviously we got some contracts that come back, is just the five Sunbelt weekends. Well, that is some good news. Absolutely. Good way to wrap it up. That's Tommy Raffo joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We'll be back to wrap it up right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Taking a look at some other things that are happening as far as A-State athletics. I want to congratulate the women's golf team on what they accomplished last week went to mobile won the south alabama intercollegiate one of 13 teams in that event congratulations to our friend mj davian shaw her 14th tournament win as head coach of the red wolves and the top finisher in that event was a freshman morgan bolu able to finish fifth overall in that event. And, of course, you know, we talk a lot about our friend Olivia mm-hmm. Schmidt. She had a good showing in that event as well, but uh, a lot of talent for that women's golf team. Yeah, they are not a, uh, a one-trick pony, right? And you can't be and win events as yeah. a team, right? Because you, you, you've got to have the, all the scores to count. So congratulations to those guys to go down and beat a, a conference opponent on its home course and by the way multiple conference opponents but to, to do it you know when you're playing a host team that's in the league that, that's always nice to grab the trophy and take it home with you and i think they've won three out of four dating back to the end of last season so yeah they've got a really good thing going you know coach uh, mj does with, with her guys and hopefully they'll just keep it going as we're sitting here talking they're up in springfield at the Payne stewart this week so yeah maybe they can just uh, keep collecting hardware Tough weekend for volleyball. They lost their three matches at the Ball State Tournament. They're still 5-4 and four on the season, and they'll play their final tune-up before conference play begins this upcoming weekend. They're playing a tournament at Stephen F. Austin. They'll take on Eastern Washington, Texas A&M Commerce, and Stephen F. Austin Friday and Saturday. So hopefully Coach Gerwig and his team can get a little momentum heading into Sunbelt play. Yeah, their last match of the weekend was against Alabama, and I think that was a you know pretty tightly contested four-set match. So still some things to build on there. Awfully young, a lot of newcomers there. So plenty of upside for A-State Volleyball. As mentioned, one more weekend out on the road before they come home. But it'll be now you know, next weekend to open conference play with Georgia Southern. Soccer team finishes non-conference play with a record of 2-3-2. Two, two. They played a couple of home matches last week. They had a one nothing victory, excuse me, 1-0. Mm-hmm. You've taught me that over Missouri State. 
And then they lost 1-0 to Western Kentucky. So non-conference play out of the way now. They'll begin Sunbelt play this Saturday. They'll travel to San Marcos to take on Texas State. Pretty big challenge early. Texas State's a good program, too. So uh, hopefully they can go down and get things started. And They still play championship-level defense, right? They've played seven matches, and they've got three shutouts, and three times they've given up one goal. I think the only team that scored more than once on them was Arkansas. It was a top-ten team. And even that was some stuff late. So defensively, they're there. As you can imagine, when you lose the greatest goal scorer in the history of your program and you have another co- other couple of transfers head out, they're struggling right now to plug in gaps and try to find a way to score one or two. Mostly it's one. Like, right, this is a team good enough defensively that if they can get one and get ahead of you, they're going to beat you almost every time. So I think there are plenty of wins out there in conference play for the soccer team. Meanwhile, football will get ready now for their big showdown this Saturday at Memphis. You knew coming into the season what the odds were of the Red Wolves being 1-1 one one at this point. I think there's about a 99% chance yep. that they were going to be 1-1 one one coming in to week three. This, I think, is the first real measuring stick to see where this team is at. There were some encouraging signs last week at Ohio State, but... Uh, you and I have seen it many times over. Crazy things can happen when A-State and Memphis get together. And look, there was a big gap in between A-State-Memphis games. There are, what, six, seven years? And now it's back on the schedule the last few years. For the foreseeable future, mm-hmm. this is what's going to happen, and that's a really good thing. Yeah, by far the closest geographic game really f- – for either team, I know Memphis is, would be pretty similar with Ole Miss, but obviously from an A-State standpoint, it's Memphis by a lot in terms of FBS teams, geographically speaking. So always fun for both teams to get across the river. And, and I expect, I'll be honest with you, I expect Arkansas State to have more fans over there Saturday than Memphis brought over here last year. And remember, that was a wild and woolly affair where everybody got in the 50s. That was the first taste for Butch Jones of this A-State-Memphis rivalry. And you remember A-State got in a big hole, put James Blackman in, and he passed for 300 yards in about a quarter and a half (laughs) in a crazy comeback effort. Ended up falling 55-50, to had a Hail Mary attempt to try to win that game, which we've seen that before, and we've seen it go on the right end but should be really fun coming up saturday looking forward to see how uh, a state performs against uh, a good memphis team one thing I, I do want to bring up with you is what everybody else is talking about right now and that is the overall performance of the sunbelt conference right now and it's funny you have seen this coming for a while this conference has been getting significantly better year by year and now I think there's a lot of people outside the Sun Belt that will agree that right now this is the best conference in the group of five. Well, it, it's the you know the best single day in the history of the league in, in terms of you know overall day for the conference and two uh, top ten wins. Unfortunately, you know it, it knocks probably uh, the day in 2020 when A State and Lafayette and Coastal all beat Big 12 teams on the same day. But it, it is the second time in three seasons to beat 
a power five teams, you know, three power five teams on the same day. Yeah. This time it just happened to be a couple of ones that are ranked in the top ten. They got a coach fired in the other game that the Sun Belt won. So yeah, I mean, uh, a high water mark in terms of you know a single day of non conference play for the league. Yeah, obviously huge days for Appalachian State. And Marshall with their top 10 wins, Georgia Southern getting that Power 5 victory at Nebraska. And, oh, by the way, the Raging Cajuns have the nation's longest win streak, which is now at 15. South Alabama got a good win at Central Michigan. And, you, oh, yeah, got game day for the first time ever as a league coming How up. about that? Well, first time at Appalachian yeah. State, second time as a league. You remember two years ago, Coastal hosted when BYU came Well, that's that. true. So – Really, really big stuff happening right now as far as the Sun Belt and the attention it's capturing I mean, nationally. I know it's kind of stuck up on this mountain at 3,333 feet, and I don't know you know, what else there is to do. I mean, town's sort of built around that school, but even beyond just the winning, they got a lot positive going on there at App State with the buy-in they've got. And we've talked before about th- their student section and how good they've been since they came into the league. And there's no, all this video best. of that game goes final. And, of course, it's on the road, and not a lot of people are able to make that trip. And they just go running into the streets. Uh, the streets just fill up in Boone as soon as that game went final. And they not only won the game, but they won game day because game day was probably going to be Texas A&M-Miami otherwise. And when App beats Texas A&M, we're like, okay, well, we're just – they get game day now against Troy. Well, and how much, and obviously we're not college game day producers, but when that decision is being made and you see those videos come out with students in the streets and the celebration in Boone, I'm sure that went a long way oh, gosh. into deciding yeah. that game day would be in Boone this week. I mean, yeah, they've got I mean, to. They sold out their season tickets six weeks before the season started. You know, and even as far back as Sunbelt Media Day, you know, their co- coach told us, you know, they'd already listed North Carolina as a sellout, but they said, well, they're, we got probably three or four other home games too. They're sold out. We just hadn't said it yet. So, I mean, they, they, yeah, they got some good things. Th- they've got some good stuff going. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of Proud of them, proud for them, and I can't wait to see. I mean, it's gonna it's going to look the part Saturday when they've got game day. And uh, I remember having this thought, and about ten seconds later, I, I looked on Twitter and I saw my buddy Bobo had posted the same exact thought, saying, "I hope people realize how good North Carolina's start is." Yeah, you know, their last two weeks, you know, they've gone on the road and beat. Two of the best teams in our league at Appalachian State and then this past week at Georgia State. One possession in, in both cases, right? That crazy game that they sort of escape app. And then I think they scored the last 14 points, if I'm not mistaken, to beat Georgia State by a touchdown. So yeah. We know it because we're in this league. And I think because of now the notoriety the league's gotten, I think maybe more people will clue into it that I don't know how in the world North Carolina got itself in a situation to play Sunbelt teams on the road twice this early in the season. But they got out of there unscathed, and not a lot of teams would. Well, I know Mac Brown wasn't thrilled about it when it <laughs> happened, but they got through it. All right, anything else we need to talk about before we get out of here? No, I don't know. I think we got to be, be on the lookout. I, I, and, and I was hoping we maybe could have mentioned it here, but it's not quite ready. But be, I, I'm, what I'm hoping is coming, and we maybe we can talk about it some more detail next week, is some uh, interactivity for the, the fan base in terms of some, some new things, maybe at some home football games. Okay. Something maybe we can talk about next week. I hope so. 
All right. We'll look forward to that. Thanks again to our good friend Tommy Raffo joining us for this edition. And uh, who knows who's going to join us next week on our next edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.